Welcome to Kansas Flectors Podcast. I'm Tim Carpenter, and it's a pleasure to welcome Bob Beatty, a political science professor at Washburn University in Topeka. He's returned from another visit to Iowa, where he's made a habit of tracking down presidential candidates engaged in that Midwest state's caucus selection. The professor has done this for a couple decades and has a sense of how presidential campaigns can be boiled down to retail or residential politics as candidates make pitches in tiny restaurants or even in living rooms of homes. Mr. Beatty is going to enlighten us on some of the 2024 campaign's visitors to Iowa. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here, Tim, and I'm still recovering from my most recent trip to Iowa because it was uh, the most arduous of my career. Yeah, well, hopefully the weather on the highways wasn't bad. That is one problem Iowa has statewide. Well, the weather was fine. It was just seven events in one day. That was that was yeah. quite a bit. Well, that's the grind. Let's start our big tour of some of the people you met in Iowa with uh, Nikki Haley. Uh, she's an emerging star in Republican politics, former South Carolina governor, and was U.N. ambassador in the Trump administration. Um I think we should add a few tidbits here, maybe not well known to people. But in about 2012, Nikki Haley uh, confided that she was inspired to enter a public service by none other than Hillary Clinton. Uh, But that might be beside the point. So what did you learn about Nikki Haley up there in Iowa? Well, Nikki Haley, when she uh, had a town hall, I saw her at a town hall in um, in Iowa and actually Clive, Iowa, which Tim, I believe you've been to for presidential activities. But she didn't reveal that to the crowd, which was probably wise. But she had a, she had a nice crowd in, in Clive. And you can tell that uh, the co- Republican caucus goers are, are very interested in, in her. And she's one of those candidates that uh, if it was if Trump was not in the race, Donald Trump, um, the, the attention given to her would be um, 10 times as much because she's a very uh, politically attractive candidate uh, on the Republican side. You know, there's has not been there have not been a lot of competitive women on the Republican side. Of course, the Democrats had uh, Hillary Clinton actually get the nomination. But on the Republican side, there has not been um, someone who, who really was thought to be able to get the nomination. And so that's Nikki Haley. And her resume is very impressive uh, in terms of both foreign policy and being a governor to have both of those things. That's you know, Barack Obama did not have both, so he had to get Joe Biden to get the foreign policy side. She's also, you know, she's relatively young compared to Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Anybody, you know, that's not going to turn into their 80s uh, in, in the next term is relatively young. But she also acts relatively young. She's got two daughters uh, in their teenage years, and she can talk about them. So people identify with that. And we had an odd thing that happened during our town hall. Some internet pranksters came in and said, why are you basically yelled at her during her talk and said, why won't you support Taylor Swift? And it's just apparently an internet prank. <clears throat> and uh, Nikki Haley handled it pretty well. She said, um, hey, it's not Q&A time yet. So please, I'm tr- oh, let me finish my remarks and then you can ask the question. Well, they were internet pranksters and they weren't interested in that. But then when she started her uh, Q&A, she said, oh, before I start, let me answer the question that that, uh, that guy yelled out. And he said, yes, I like Taylor Swift. And, I, and we've, I've been to a Taylor Swift concert. 
concert. So that, you so know, there. compared to maybe Donald Trump or Joe Biden, who sometimes seem like they might be of a different generation, um, she seems to be able to connect to maybe some of the younger voters. Right. One of the interesting things with Haley is that recently the Americans for Prosperity Action, the PAC that is primarily funded through the, the Coke Billions, endorsed Haley because they they view her as perhaps the best option uh, to surpass Trump and then go on and beat uh, President Joe Biden in the general election. Right. And that's what's been going on for the Republicans. First of all, when you look at the field that declared uh, that they're running for president, you know, and uh, and started campaigning around August, July and August. It's a it's a politically very impressive field. You know, Nikki Haley, former governor, ambassador, and we're going to talk about them, but a former vice president, several governors of big states, U.S. senators. So what we've been seeing is groups like Americans for Prosperity waiting and seeing who's going to emerge. Because I'll say it right now, the interesting thing about people saying, oh, my gosh, Trump has this huge lead in the polls. Well, if that and then no one else is within 30 points, but that's because it's Trump and then seven other people. Mm-hmm. If it was Trump and then one other person, it would base, it could be very easily, oh my gosh, it's 4951. This mm-hmm. is a heck of a race. So the way it's portrayed, it has been portrayed all summer and fall is Trump is dominating and he's running away with this race, but that's only in the context of of because it's a multi-candidate race. So there are some groups like Americans for Prosperity that really want to see this be a two-person race and then it can try to force some of these other people to yes. quit. Right. Uh, perhaps one of the people they would uh, like to uh, step aside would be Ron DeSantis. He's the Florida governor and a former congressman, very conservative member of Congress. He uh, he kind of pulls quite a bit of the uh, non-Trump vote, and he's been relentlessly attacking Nikki Haley. Uh, I think he's had some internal campaign issues with some of his advisors and the PAC that's supporting him. But what you might not know about the Florida governor is that when he was a senior on the Yale baseball team, he had the team's highest batting average. He hit three thirty six. A good number. Very good. And uh, then went on to law school and uh, other endeavors. So what's your sense of uh, Mr. DeSantis in Iowa? So I, I, I went to, to see Ron DeSantis, especially because I was so curious to see him in person, because the early reports were that he was awkward uh, a st- you know, and, and stiff as a campaigner. And, and if, for that, that Iowa caucus is the first vote of the 2024 cycle and Iowans do like to have a connection. I mean, it it sounds like a cliche, but many of them go and check out every candidate and go see the candidates several times. They, they, they really value their, their vote. Some of those people need a hobby. (laughs) That's their hobby. (laughs) Uh, And, and so I wanted to see if this was true. And uh, so was DeSantis a little bit awkward and and a little bit stiff? Eh, Maybe a little bit. Um, not, I, I didn't think it was too bad, uh, but the problem for De, I think one of the problems for DeSantis was, in a bizarre way, he peaked too early. He peaked in 2022, uh, meaning he was getting a lot of great press and, and a lot of Republicans really touting him and pushing him. And so there was, I think, pretty high expectations by Iowans. And then when he arrived in person, um, they, you know, I think. Seeing the the response to him was, oh, he's okay. 
Um, but maybe he doesn't live up to all that uh, press. Whereas so somebody like Nikki Haley arrives pulling in at two or three percent and you get the opposite. Oh, she's better than I thought. Mm -hmm. And so I think DeSantis has struggled with that. Um, and he uh, early on, DeSantis thought he would really be the, the number one opponent for Donald Trump. And when he started struggling in Iowa, um, he went for an, an all Iowa strategy. And so he's been spending a lot more time in Iowa, a lot of these retail events. I think DeSantis kind of hoped he wouldn't have to do the small retail events hmm. um, because they're hard work. And, you know, if you have any sort of ego, you sit there and say, I'm talking to 22 people, uh, three of which are asleep at the moment in this cafe. <laughs> you know, Tim, you know, yeah. it's Iowa. No, right. DeSantis, I really think, thought he could get away with not having to do that. He found out pretty quick that he wasn't going to be able to get away with that. And I don't think he was happy about it. But um, he's he's in it. He's in it. But he's getting um, he's certainly not the Ron DeSantis that entered in terms of his image. Right. Clearly one of the two uh, uh, top contenders in addition to pres former president Donald Trump. You know, he's the TV personality. He's the businessman. He's also the guy who's been indicted uh, dozens of times. He's carrying uh, national polls, maybe 50 percent or more of the vote. Uh, but he's not he's only been endorsed by 13 Republicans in the U.S. Senate, which says something about his candidacy. Uh, when I was reading about uh, the former president, I realized that uh, in addition to being under criminal indictment in a series of states, he's actually spent about as much time as a Republican member of the Republican Party as he spent as an independent, as a Democrat, and as a member of the Reform Party. Uh, so is the Donald uh, taking everybody to the woodshed in Iowa, or what's going on? So that's a good, interesting point about Donald Trump being a Republican. Um, he's, Donald Trump has benefited. Uh, he did in 2016, and he may again this cycle benefited from a multi-candidate field in the American primary system where he can become the nominee with, you know, theoretically, you know, 42 percent of the Republican vote. So theoretically, more than half of Republicans could not want him. Uh, he pulls well among all Republicans, but, you know, that's uh, that's a function of, of course, the two party system. So what Trump is doing in Iowa is campaigning as an incumbent president. So we know from Barack Obama in 2012, from Bush in, um, in uh, you know, in his second term, that the incumbent president doesn't, you know, doesn't campaign in Iowa. There's not usually uh, a big opposition to to him. So Trump is campaigning as if there's, he has no opponents, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, in a sense, mm -hmm. if that's the campaign. So Trump is the one candidate, uh, a non-incumbent president that I've ever seen in Iowa that will not do the small events. He will not do the handshaking. He'll, he won't do the, you know, visiting the coffee shop. He's not even doing the big debates. He won't. He refuses to do the debates. And in ordinary American politics, including and especially in Iowa, they'd say, up your nose with a rubber hose, to quote Welcome Back Cotter. Uh, sorry, you got to do those things. But Trump is Trump. He has a devoted following. According to the polls, that's OK. They're still treating him like an incumbent president. 
And so I did go to his rally in Atumwa. He's doing big rallies, doing big events, you know, at least a couple thousand people at each one, give or mm-hmm. take. Mm-hmm. And their shows, uh, their performances, uh, they're like rock concerts mixed in with a, a celebrity roast, mixed in with cosplay, like a Star Trek convention. Um, and I don't mean that in a denigrating way. That's just what they're like. People dress up. Uh, they wait in line like a rock concert. Then he, you know, he arrives to music and then he holds forth for an hour and 15 minutes. Um, and then, then he leaves off in the plane. So it's not Iowa. It's nothing unique to Iowa whatsoever. But he, his campaign and he is smart enough to have a lot of Iowa uh, pork in there. So during his speech, he'll talk of, well, you know, I'm going to get your fertilizer prices down. I'm going to get the gas prices down. I'm going to make sure that your tractors aren't electric. You know, he mentioned, he certainly, he, he talks a lot about farm issues, I would say. Hmm. But in terms of the campaigning, it's, it's actually the opposite of what normally goes on um, for the Iowa caucus. So that's important to him because it means there's a little bit of an opening there for uh, another candidate. Like in, the other candidates are all doing the Iowa thing. Mm-hmm. So that's a possible wild card. You got to think if, if any of those people got into the 20, 25 percent or something like that, then and, and we're like, seven, what, seven weeks out from the caucus up there? Less, six. Less they, than they six. Would have to, they would have to get some traction fast. But if they really start cutting into his lead, maybe he would he would then uh, you think he would change tactics? No, maybe not. Would, no, he would just uh, Trump's to you know, Trump does what Trump does. But he might just do more events. Now, he has gone all he's gone into Iowa. He initially started by having almost no events. Now, I'm, I, you know, I'm on his text list. So I mm-hmm. get texts from Nikki Haley. I get texts from Donald Trump because, you know, I it's was so in kind Iowa. Of and I personally, signed, I had to sign up to get the details of the event, whatever. Yeah. Right. Seek your support. That's Gosh. right. So, they, you know, I'm unaffiliated, but they, they seem to like me. So um, he's doing a lot more events, Trump is, in Iowa. That, Like DeSantis, I don't think he'd originally planned on doing. Um, I think one of the goals of the Trump campaign, and he states this, it's not a secret, in his speech, he said, hey, let's, let's uh, have a landslide in Iowa and, and basically be done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll be done with this primary thing. Uh, he actually did say in his speech that debates, for example, he said debates are bad for the Republican Party. I mean, Why? It's too much. It's bad to have fighting amidst candidates. Oh, among the Republicans. Yes. Debates uh-huh. are bad. And now he, of course, he skipped a debate in 2020 with Joe Biden. So he's not a big fan of debates. In any mm-hmm. All right. So President, former President Trump is uh, clearly the front runner here. Another candidate um, who has been making a lot of noise, Vivek Ramaswamy. He's a businessman. He's very wealthy, perhaps a billionaire. Um, he has actually said that he would pardon the president uh, if he was elected. He also made other suggestions like he would fire 75 percent of the U.S. government employees. And he would abolish five federal government agencies. But what you might not know about him is that in college he performed rap music under the stage name of Davek. And I've not heard any of that music, uh, but I, I believe that's to my benefit. So when you when you think about him as a candidate in Iowa, what's what's your sense of his uh, appeal? Well, Tim, he's right now. I don't I don't have to consciously think about him. He's still in my in my dreams because I spent, uh, as I said, on November 22nd, an entire day with him, seven events 
in uh, seven different cities, including uh, Emmitsburg and Estherville and Pocahontas and Odebolt and Fort Dodge and Rockwell City. Um, so I heard his stump speech um, seven times. And, and Here's the, something that and you could cut into to, just to hold your thought. <laughs> do these stump speeches change a lot or do you do they color them based on where they're at or do the, the reality is they just say essentially the same thing seven times? Um, the stump speech does, is basically the same, and it's relatively short after the first one, uh, about eight to ten minutes, and then the Q and A is the interesting part because okay. you never know what they're going to ask. I see, and, and I that's see. and I, I'm not. If it was somebody else other than Trump, I'd say the same thing. So I don't want to bag on Trump, but that's really a key point of democracy to have a future president. I think it's wonderful stand up there and say, "Ask me anything." Mm-hmm. Trump's not doing that. And uh, I, I think I think that's something these candidates, I admire them for it. Um, Ramaswamy, Vivek Ramaswamy, as you mentioned, he's a dynamic speaker. He's a very he's a very good speaker. Um, it reminds me a bit in terms of the candidate of Andrew Yang. Some people remember mm-hmm. him four years ago, meaning a wealthy, came out of nowhere, wasn't well known. And then started doing events in Iowa, doing a debate or two, and people saying, wow, this is an interesting candidate. Um, and that's what's happened to Ramaswamy. I would argue Ramaswamy has gone much more sort of to the right than Andrew Yang went to the left. And he's also a little harsher. And Nikki Haley was able to take advantage of that at the last debate. But in person, Ramaswamy is um, a very nice guy, personable guy, friendly um, so his policies maybe are more harsh than his actual personality. I think the people liked him who are go to his events. His biggest problem, which, of course, is going to be there, is um, there's going to be a number of caucus goers that uh, would like to caucus for him or vote for him. But they're afraid it'd be a wasted vote. Now, I'm not saying he's he's out of it, but and he's I think he's going to stay till the caucus. But that's the biggest hurdle he has to overcome. I mean, there's people in the audience that are nodding and, and saying they like him. Um, but they're also many of these caucus goers are tactical and they want their vote. If they're not voting for Trump, they want their vote uh, to count. He did make an interesting point. He said he's 38 mm-hmm. and uh, he said it's you know, he didn't mention Trump directly, but he was clearly referring to Trump and Biden and saying uh, it's it's time for a new generation. It's you know it's time for some uh, somebody who's more of his future is ahead of him than his past, and uh, you know it do, it did bring make more stark the how how long in years both Biden and Trump are now. Right, right. Well, there's a uh, he has a he has many more opportunities to run for president again if he if he actually bailed out of this one. There's a couple of candidates that you interacted with up there, I believe, that that have uh, silenced their campaigns. One of them is Mike Pence, the former vice president to Trump. He he was in Congress as well from Indiana, and uh, was governor of the state, I believe. Um, he played a significant role on January 6th. He affirmed the Biden election uh, contrary to the president's wishes. Uh, and so his campaign just kind of um, uh, maybe never really got off the ground in the way that you might expect a former vice president. But of course, he was running uh, against Trump and, and there was a clash there. 
you know, his his political life actually didn't start out that well either. He lost two congressional races in 1988 and 1990 and continued to work as a radio talk show host until he was elected to Congress in 2000. So before Pence bailed, what was your, your sense of his candidacy in Iowa? Yeah, so I went to see Pence very early on. I was, cur- of course, curious about DeSantis, but I was even more curious about Mike Pence. So it was actually July when I went went to see him in, in Iowa. And um, very interesting because those were the most, you could sort of say, tense events I went to um, because, because uh, Trump then, had been and still criticizes Mike Pence quite a bit. And so there were Trump sort of voters or Trump people in his crowds uh, there. They, and a number of them would wear Trump hats. And so it was obvious there. They were just trying to irritate him? Uh, yeah, I guess so. And, and then during the Q&A, it, uh, it came right up. A Trump voter said, well, how could you let the Dem-, you know, basically paraphrasing. Uh, the, the question would be, how could you let the Democrats win that election? You know, you sanctioned it because of you. And that happened a couple of times. And Pence um, stood by his decision and said he, you know, was very serious and said he swore an oath to the Constitution and uh, said the vice president had no right to do what you have. He, as he said, you were been told by Trump and others that the vice president had the right to do. And he made an interesting comment. He then said, would you like Kamala Harris to have that right in this mm-hmm. next election? Probably not, because the vice president doesn't have the right to stop it, you know, the counting of the votes. But it was very tense. And he stood by you know, he he you got a sense that he, he clearly would rather lose than uh, with his as he expressed it with his integrity and honor, which he ended up in this sense losing. He dropped out of the race mm-hmm. than win the win the nomination by uh, going against what he had done on, on January 6th or before. So there was a lot of um, there was a lot of emotion in his campaign in terms of the sense that he was uh, I think he wanted to to ex- explain in his way wh- why he did what he did when he was Trump's vice president there at the end. So even if he He's dropped out, but my guess is that Mike Pence would say it was. I'm glad I did it because it enabled me to um, sort of, you know, let people know where I stood on that issue. Also, might have given him an opportunity to explain why he stood at Trump's side uh, uncritically to some of the bizarre things that happened during the Trump uh, four Which, years in office. Well, he, that he didn't explain because no one really that there. No one, no one really questioned him on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, this wasn't a general election. These are Republicans. So that's, they were happy about that. It was really the January 6th uh, events and around those events. That, All right. We've got another guy here you interacted with, Senator, U.S. Senator Tim Scott, uh, South Carolina. Um, you know, ironically, he was appointed to that Senate seat by Nikki Haley when Nikki Haley was governor, I believe. But he served in the House and the Senate, Senate since 2021. And uh, he suspended his campaign early in November. Didn't really do so well. Um, you know, looking back in time, uh, he was apparently a profoundly good uh, athlete in high school. But he was driving one night and fell asleep at the wheel and had a crash. And that really undermined his uh, 
his opportunity for college scholarships and his prospects there. I should also add that in 2011, I believe, he introduced some legislation in the U.S. House that would have ended food stamps. You know, the program that serves 40 million Americans. So I'm not sure where he was headed with that. Uh, do you have any idea why he was running for president? Well, he, he had, like all these candidates, they entered the race thinking that there's that it's possible that there's a majority of Republicans, and it's still possible, that do not want Donald Trump to be their nominee. And so then that's when, as you know, Tim, every four years, a lot of senators and governors and businessmen look in the mirror and say, well, why not me? Right? Why not? And that's why we get, you know, four years ago, 22 Democrats running. But Tim Scott, uh, alluding to your comment on his votes, he's and I saw him in Iowa, he's very conservative, which is fine. That's going to be popular. He's very conservative. He's got an interesting backstory growing up in poverty and mm-hmm. uh, with his father not in the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got a very charming and he's uh, very positive. And so these qu- he's got some real personality when he's campaigning. And pretty soon he got the reputation in the race as being the nice guy. Uh, sort of the, the old hum- Hubert Humphrey, happy warrior type of candidate, but but super conservative. So able to sell a policy, like you said, that may cut people off welfare or health care. But, you know, this is this is good for the country and it doesn't sound so bad. Maybe some of these conservative principles without uh, some of the fiery rhetoric and toxicity. Exactly. You, yes. And um, that was his sort of, as they say in politics, lane. That remember, they're vying for the, the all these other can, non-Trump candidates are vying for the idea that there's one is going to be one candidate that emerges to take on Trump. So they all have different qualities, and his is those things I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, in Iowa, the crowd was a huge crowd, uh, town hall, seventy-five, you know, eighty people, lots of questions. And he was really, really good. He was funny, personable, very conservative, which was which was attractive to the crowd. Um, probably his downfall, to answer your question, seems to have been the debates. He was in the debates uh, for good or ill. Uh, if you don't, if you're not pr- fairly aggressive, uh, you, you don't get any time. It's just the way it is. You got to shout over people. You got to interrupt and and you know and, and shout a bit. And then get and then people say, oh, I'm impressed by that person, especially in the early debates with lots of candidates. And Tim Scott suffered in the debates Uh, too nice, people were saying. And so ironically, the thing that that made made him attractive early on. Hey, this guy's very personable, a happy face to conservatism turned into too nice. Uh, maybe not, you know, maybe not up to it. So let's briefly touch upon a candidate who's not coming to Iowa, spending a lot of time in New Hampshire, former New Jersey governor, Chris Christie. He's not been ever considered too nice. I don't think, uh, maybe he has a good sense of humor, but, uh, he's disliked, I believe by six in 10 GOP primary voters. He's got a lot of negatives there. He was in the Trump orbit. Now he's out of the Trump orbit. Um, uh, so, yeah. Well, he there's only two candidates, major candidates in this race who have openly gone after Donald Trump. And Chris Christie's the, the biggest and most well-known. Um, 
the second is is Asa Hutchinson. And it's interesting because party affiliation is very strong in America, Democrats, Republicans. If you're a Democrat or a Republican, you feel that's a party affiliation. So even people who don't like Donald Trump uh, seem to not like people attacking him hmm. um, like Christie does. So you'll, you'll know they don't like the medicine that President Trump dispenses. They there's a, there's a fair there's a number of Republicans that say, well, we don't we don't like Trump. Or we don't like his personality or they might even disagree with some policies, whatever. But we don't like, you know, the the, the extreme attacks. Um, and I think okay. that that hurts Christie. So when you see a Nikki Haley, when you see uh, a Ron DeSantis, you know, that will they be critical of Donald Trump in some ways? Yes. Or a Ramaswamy, especially. Um, but they, they're just sitting there and doing what Chris Christie does, which is basically, I mean, everyone's seen it. This guy is a disaster for the Republican Party. This guy's a, this guy's, poly, you know, wrong. And you know, So what, Haley and DeSantis might be tepid, but uh, Christie's like sitting at a bar somewhere exactly. in Jersey yep. uh, letting it rip. Here's what I think. Oh, yeah. And sometimes it's kind of fun in Iowa to see uh, a candidate like Haley or or. Tim Scott, before he dropped out, how um, come up with with uh, very nice language to say how much they disagree, disagree with Donald Trump and <laughs> soften it so much. You're like, I think she's saying that she doesn't agree with him. But, you know, Christie, he may have made a few enemies when he was in New Jersey. He was a U.S. attorney and he oversaw the conviction of 130 public officials locally and state at the local and state levels uh, during his time there, which is a, an incredible record. It must say something about New Jersey uh, political life <laughs> as well. Yeah, and there were some scandals, the famous bridge scandal. Yeah, that but, was him. That was on him. He Christie, the bridge. Uh, as David Camp, former prime minister of the UK, went, uh, said, he said, I was the future once. Uh, Christie was very popular years, several years ago. Ran for president in the past. Um, mm -hmm. And then he did have his, his moments with Trump. And I think that hurts him. There's video out there with him standing next to Trump and, mm -hmm. you know, looking happy, uh, which is obviously not the case now. So you also mentioned a couple other candidates that have been uh, roaming around Iowa. Asa Hutchinson, who is a former Arkansas governor and... Um, you know, he uh, he got into politics in part uh, on the back of his brother. His brother was elected to Congress. His brother decided to run for the United States Senate. And then Asa took that House seat. He also notably was the uh, House prosecutor in the impeachment of Bill Clinton. So when Asa gets up there, what does he talk about? <laughs> he talks about what you just talked about, his experience he, he's tr he's treating this election as a just a good old fashioned American election or Trump's not even really there. Uh, so he's treating Trump as like another candidate, which means he criticizes him quite mm -hmm. a bit. And then he's gotten booed at, at many of these events where uh, Trump supporters are there and they're happy to boo anyone who complains about Trump. So he, he will he will criticize Trump, but he's really running as an old fashioned Republican. Hey, I was a prosecutor. Hey, I was a congressman. Here's what I helped get passed when I was in those offices. Here's what we did in Arkansas. Well, it's it's American politics 2023. It's a that that is a little bit old fashioned. You know, the scuttlebutt among journalists 
when I was in Iowa was, was, oh, I think he just wants to try to get a gig at MSNBC or uh, CNN or something, oh, which some candidates have done. Rick Santorum did it. Uh, so you can parlay that into some TV and Andrew earnings. Yang ended up on CNN. So oh, um, that's just what I heard because, I, yeah. The, he, he, he has said, and this might get him on TV, that uh, Trump's participation role in the January 6th riots and the insurrection, some say, um, disqualifies him. The, uh, what is it, the 14th Amendment might disqualify right. him. Uh, from uh, being president again. Controversial position. Well, yeah, he's a former uh, prosecutor. Interestingly enough, former prosecutor, as is Chris Christie. So, you know, the two candidates that criticized Trump are, you know, two guys that used to be in the court of law. And uh, it it irks them to some degree. um, Yeah, I think Hutchinson was part of the DEA and even Homeland Security. So he does some credentials in the federal government. Uh, another candidate up there that people may not hear too much about, Doug Burgum, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, the yeah. North Dakota governor, uh, a tiny uh, state up there. He may be one of the richest guys in the race. I believe his estimated net worth is around $1.1 billion. Wow. He's so rich. He had a software company. He sold it to Microsoft, so you can take that. Uh, in July, he offered uh, people $20 gift cards in exchange for any kind of donation they wanted to make to his campaign. And I think he needed donations to qualify for debates, if I'm not mistaken. So he's really buying donations yes. to get on the debate stage. So he really wanted to be in the spotlight. Yeah, yeah, the debates are, are important. Bergam, I'd never heard of him uh, before. I found out he was running for president, which I'm a little embarrassed to say because he, he's the governor of a state. Uh, and this happens. This is, happens every four years. Uh, as I said, a governor, a senator, somebody looks in the mirror and says, "Well, heck, I'd be. A, I think I'd be a pretty good president." But it does help to be a, a billionaire because. You know, there's two ways to do Iowa. One is you you show up um, like Pete Buttigieg, and wow, you've got some, there's something about you that starts attracting people. But you're not particularly wealthy. But then it sort of feeds on itself. The other is you show up and you're really wealthy, and you you put in your organization from day one, and then hope that uh, the you know the the appeal people find the appeal there. And uh, Ramaswamy and, and Burgum have done that. And Ramaswamy got, was able to get people to say, oh, this guy's dynamic. This guy's really interesting. Burgum, not so much. Nothing against him. But, you know, he comes across as a very capable uh, and accomplished uh, governor of a state, Republican governor of a state. Mm-hmm. Um, but nothing that um, maybe is, is any more impressive than... You know, a visual, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, he's the guy that blew out his knee playing pickup basketball or something. So there are pictures of him on crutches, which might be emblematic of his standing in this presidential race. Uh, Not the greatest uh, image to have. You mean on one of those little roller things? Yeah, that's no, no, no. He had like crutch, old stock crutches, crutch, 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 crutch. Uh, So before we close it out here, uh, Mr. Beatty, I was wondering if. We can perhaps assume that Trump can win this nomination. But when you look at this roster of Republican candidates, you know, Trump would serve presumably uh, one term. Uh, who who here do you see that could come back uh, in four years and, 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 
continue to maybe raise their profile and be a, a legitimate candidate? Wow, that's a that's an excellent question. Uh, obviously, Nikki Haley, um, just because you know she, if she's not going to win this time, she's getting all the a little bit like Mitt Romney, who ran, uh, who got the nomination his second time he ran. Um, it, it helps to have that first time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always work. Didn't work for John Edwards, for example. But Haley is impressive uh, it, when you see her in person. Um, so she, and she's got the background and the resume. And the others, uh, I mean, you you try you go to Iowa, you try for the nomination, and in sort of the voters tell you, and through the polling or the reaction, I think um, I think DeSantis has hurt himself. Um, even Trump in his rally, you know, Trump likes to be a political analyst when he's up there mm-hmm. giving a talk. He'll just riff on um, his opinions on things. And sometimes, he's right. he, of course, he's right. He said uh, DeSantis, he never should have ran. He's, 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 he's gonna, he could have ran in 28, he said. And, but I think he, he, you know, then Trump goes on to call him a loser. But there, there was something to that. I think Tim Scott didn't help himself. Uh, Mike Pence's moment, maybe like Dan Quayle's. Dan Quayle ran for president, you know, after he was vice president. Who? Yeah. His moment might have passed. Um, so it's it, Ramaswamy, it'll be interesting to see because he's only 38. He's clearly, people are, are interested in him. If he wants, he, he might have a future. But look what, again, happened to Andrew Yang. He got excited from his Iowa experience, uh, then ran for mayor of New York, and then he lost. And yeah. then now we haven't heard much from him again. So you got to be careful in politics. I think we're going to leave it there. Bob Beatty, political science professor at Washburn University in Topeka, thanks for going to Iowa for us so we didn't <laughs> have to drive at 90 miles an hour from campaign stop to campaign stop. Uh, appreciate your help with this. Thanks for uh, briefing us on some of these candidates. Uh, of course, and if any uh, listeners want the excitement, um, the date, the two or three days before the January 15 caucuses are a blast. All the candidates will be there. They're all the events are free, uh, and um, they're fascinating. So you can pop in the car if it's not negative 10, and mm-hmm. see some of them if you want. Yeah. All right. Thanks. 